Let's all humble ourselves before the throne of grace. Almighty Father, we come before you on this Sabbath, a special time where we can honor you and, and discover what you have for us in your word. May this day be a blessing to all as they seek you and seek your face. You are so magnificent and so powerful and so full of the love that we need in these days. We pray that we would all be a blessing to you as we strive to walk that narrow way. May the example Yahshua gave us in all things, no matter what he was involved in as he walked this earth, be a lesson for each of us so we can grow in his knowledge and stature so that one day you might redeem us from this world to the power of your Holy Spirit to raise all your people into your kingdom that each of us would be able to serve you for an eternity and a wonderful kingdom come to earth. We pray this prayer in Yahshua's name. Hallelujah. may be seated. Well, here we are on the other side of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. You know, it was a wonderful time to meet with Yahweh's saints for seven days to have the blood of Yahshua put upon our doorposts, you know, of our life. And to focus on him entirely for that time, there's nothing like it anywhere else. So we're so happy that so many came out. You know, we've heard so many glowing reports. And uh, those that said that it was such a spiritually strengthening time and a time of real blessing for them. And they can go back now and uh, relive those moments and also encourage them to encourage others to come to find the understanding of Yahweh's word that we enjoy. You know, Yahweh's feasts elevate us. You know, they're not like going to a ball game or uh, whatever, a uh, hockey match or whatever. Uh, they elevate us spiritually and draw us closer to him in ways that people don't know until they experience it. It's a wonderful time that Yahweh has, and we have lots of them throughout the year, which makes it even better, you know. Seven times throughout the year we can gather with his people. You know, people sometimes get caught up in their own little lives, and their own lives become their universe, their world. They have a hard time breaking free of that, focusing on self. And everything that happens is so, you know, focused and so uh, meaningful that uh, it's hard for them to to look beyond that and see that there's a bigger world out there. There's more to this life. A turtle once collided with a snail, and they called the EMTs. The EMT guy got there, and he went up to the snail and, and said, well, what happened? The snail says, oh, I don't know. It all happened so fast. <laughs> you know, sometimes we just we don't realize that what we experience ain't the whole. It's just part of ourselves and not the big picture. And, you know, these feasts present to us a bigger picture, a bigger picture of Yahweh's plan, what he has for us as his people. So you got major problems in your life. you got family issues, financial difficulties, marital problems, so many things. My suggestion, in fact, 
my desire is that you would put him first. Put him first. Keep his Sabbath. Keep his feast. Focus on him. Learn his word. And see how those problems begin to dissolve. You think you're always going to continue on in your life with the problems you have and not answer them when you put him first? You know, people call and they want prayer for this and that. And, uh, you know, I've got this problem, I've got that problem, family problem, whatever. And I always wonder, what are they doing to merit Yahweh's positive response? Are they doing anything for him? Or is it just gimme, gimme? I don't think they realize that it's a two-way street. 1 John 3.22 And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. You want an answer? Start pleasing him. Don't forget your obligation to him. You want, you want him to respond to your needs? Respond to him first and see what happens. And I think that's the message of the feast and the Sabbath day as well. Well, my message today is about how Yahshua defeated his rivals, his nemesis, in open confrontation. Did the Pharisees realize what they were doing when they challenged him every single day of his life? I started looking at this, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You realize how many times he had to answer these people who were criticizing him, who were challenging him, who were trying to demoralize him, trying to raise themselves up as they put him down? How many times? Over and over. And I got to thinking, how would I like to go head-to-head in open debate with Yahshua? Um, think about that. The son of Yahweh. The prospect of challenging the judge who will one day determine my own salvation, knowing that every word I spoke could have dire consequences toward my reward. I think that's pretty serious stuff. But you see, they were involved in their own world. They couldn't see beyond that. They were the snails and the turtles. Too bad that the hypocritical religious leaders of Yahshua's day were so obtuse that they couldn't realize as they dogged him daily, as they wanted to pounce on every act he did, everything he said, every statement he made, you'd think they would start to see the light when they were defeated over and over and over by his responses. No, that didn't stop them. They had an agenda. We can learn from bad examples as well as good ones, and that's why the Bible gives us the whole enchilada. We can learn how to act, how not to act, how to be, how not to be. Very honest. Very f- no book in history is that honest. You know, when, whenever an emperor or whatever writes a book or his memoirs or something, it's always glowing never showing the bad side. Well, Yahweh doesn't want that. He, wants, he knows that man has bad sides, and he wants to show how to get from that and start learning right. In Matthew 23, Yahshua roundly condemned the Pharisees who were misleading the innocent. He said in Matthew 6, 5, that they already had their earthly reward. Oh, well, guess what? What did that mean? Translation. They won't see everlasting life. They've already had their reward here on earth. 
the fact is brought out in Lazarus and the rich man. Rich man representing the Pharisees. He's in agony because he sees himself shut out of the kingdom. Agony, agonizing it. And too bad. You had your chance, you know. Hopefully we never get in that situation. But we've got to be very careful. He said just before that in Matthew 5.20, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. Righteousness exceed theirs? I mean, you're talking about Superman, when it came to obeying the law. I mean, they could, they could outdo, you, outdo you in any way. Six ways to Sabbath. You know, that you, you had no, you had, you, you couldn't contend with their righteousness because they tied the mint, anise, and cumin. I mean, they, they went, their whole life was obedience to the letter of the law. You couldn't, you couldn't outdo them. What does he mean, exceed their righteousness? Weren't they the ultimate? Didn't Yahshua say to listen to them as they sat in Moses' seat as teachers of the law? What, what does he mean? Yes, but they missed the most important thing, the most important part. For the Pharisee and Sadducee, observing Yahweh's statutes is all about super rigorous external compliance. They parlayed their involvement in their rituals, into their own rulership system so that they could go around telling people, you're not doing things right, you're not doing that. Your disciples aren't washing their hands before they eat. I mean, they, they made a whole system. And it went to their rulership. It went to their power. But in their hearts, stone cold. Stone cold. Do what they say in teaching Yahweh's laws but don't do as they do. That was his message. Well, Tertianity, ignorant of this fact, and just, just as blind to the truths, claims Yasha used these adversaries of his to say that the law was bad and needed to be abolished. Here's the key. All that ritual law observance was just surface level. You know, just surface, nothing below that. Just surfacing, just superficial. All their bluster and all their phony religious posturing meant nothing regarding their salvation. Zero, a big fat zero, no interchange. And that was the whole point. That's why Yahweh asked us to obey him, to change within. And that's why Yahshua said that although they teach the law given by Moses, don't do what they do because they're hypocrites and they, they, they have no clue. They don't comprehend the intent of the law, which is to humble and transform the inner man, to convert the natural carnal mind to the mind of Messiah. They miss the whole point. He defines these hypocrites in a series of woes in Matthew 23, revealed by their acts. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. Oh, yeah, they'll make you suffer through it, but they're not going to do it. They do all their deeds to be noticed by men. It's all external. It's all for show. They love the place of honor at banquets and chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplace. Oh, you guys are so grand. How do you do it? How, you, how can you be so perfect? They loved it. 
Then he says, they shut off the kingdom of heaven from people, verse 13. They devour widows' houses, verse 14. They travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, they make him twice as much the son of Gehenna as themselves. What good did they do, Yahshua said? What's their purpose? The religious leaders completely missed Psalm 19, 7 to 8. The law of Yahweh is perfect, converting the soul. Oh, well, we didn't. We don't know about that part, converting the soul. The testimony of Yahweh is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of Yahweh are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of Yahweh is pure, enlightening the eyes. Biblical law is the code of ethics and behavior Yahweh lives by. That's all it is. He gave it to man because he wants you to behave like he does, to act like he does, to think like he does. It's not something onerous and terrible. It's... It's a joy and it's a blessing if people would just understand the point. It converts the soul and makes one wise. It rejoices the heart. You ever felt, even like during the feast, you feel so good about obeying Yahweh. It feels so wonderful to be doing what Yahweh asks you to do instead of doing what you always want to do. For once you do something he asks and you really feel great. It enlightens the eyes. There's no transformation of heart and mind happening in these foremost law keepers. There, there was nothing going on there. No action, no, nothing, nothing worth talking about. Therefore, Yahshua's verdict, they're going to be shot out of the kingdom. He can't use them. Hard-hearted, arrogant, high-minded, conceited, narcissistic, self-righteous, uncaring, unfeeling toward others. Almost like they're just in my way. Get out of my way. Like a doormat. Walk all over them. What could you do with a bunch like that but take them out with the trash? That's all you could do. Well, we've all seen modern day versions of these guys. Arrogant, self-absorbed, lovers of self. Which has become our culture anymore. It's lovers of self. Everything is about self. Look at the world that way sometime and see it if it's not right. See if I'm not, I'm not on target. Self. And that's what they were, huge, huge selfish people. Yahshua had a big problem with the haughty leadership. But, you know, he would never, sit, never fail to sit down with a sincere religious leader who showed interest in his truths. In John 3, Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews, came to Yahshua at night. Why? Two reasons. Two reasons he came at night which was, first of all, his indicating his sincerity, as well as fear of the consequences should he be seen by his compatriots. Oh, you went to the enemy, you know. We saw you. Somebody goes to them by night. Had to, had to sneak, <laughs> sneak into Yahshua's uh, um, domain to uh, ask him, talk to him. They feared him. They feared Yahshua because of his popularity, his ability to perform amazing miracles, even seeing somebody, you know, lame all his life, get up and walk at the beckoning of Yahshua, and they didn't get that? Come on! How blind can you be? Someone who's deaf or, or blind, and all of a sudden, Yahshua says, put some spittle on your, you know, some mud on your eyes, and he can see. That must have really got to them. 
because they couldn't explain it. They couldn't explain it. They didn't know what to do. What do you do with this guy? It can't be tricks. What is it? And then the big one, his claim that there was a coming kingdom and he'll be the king of it. That was just over the top. That was the real kicker because it directly impacted them, who they were, their positions, and their authority. And they hated him all the more for that. It struck at the root of their positions. On top of that, he says, call no man rabbi. Whoa, these guys were called rabbi. Rabbi means teacher. Don't call him teacher. Can you imagine? Now you know why he wanted to kill him. Don't call these men teachers. He couldn't have struck a more sensitive nerve of their monstrous egos. He shook their world, and their hatred of him led to his murder. You know, the common person, the civilians of Galilee, and Yahshua walked around Galilee all the time. I mean, that was where his ministry mostly took place. They held no such prejudice because they had nothing to lose, not even some of the officials he encountered held any animosity toward him. In John 7, the Pharisees commanded the temple guards to go arrest Yahshua. I don't know if you remember reading that. But they returned without him. And so were accused of being deceived by Yahshua. The guards reported that his teaching style was amazing. Open, authoritative, and just powerful. No one ever spoke that way. The way this man does, they said, not exactly what those religious leaders wanted to hear. They weren't the only ones to notice the commanding way Yahshua spoke. In Matthew 7, 28, we read, It came to pass when Yahshua had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine and his teachings. Wow, he opened it all up for us. Now we can see. Now we understand. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes, you know, or teachers of the law. Joshua taught with standalone power and authority from Yahweh. The religious elite, on the other hand, they like to quote their own elite. They'll do that today. And you talk to a Jew. Well, you know, the rabbis say, or tradition tells us, or the Talmud says. They always rely on something else. Joshua comes along and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Wow. I mean, you either say that, because you're crazy, or you say it because it's true. And they couldn't, they couldn't take that. The Jewish elite, they, they worked the other way. Yahshua went straight to the word. He quoted from 24 Old Testament books. Do you realize that? During his ministry. The apostles quoted the Old Testament 209 times. The New Testament quotes the Old Testament 855 times. And if you include a references as well as quotations, the number is 2,606. In other words, one-third of the New Testament is Old Testament. Now you tell me, is the Old Testament effective, in vogue, in operation today? It's all over the New Testament. We can rightfully say that most of the New Testament derives its definitions, teachings, promises, and ideas from Old Testament doctrine. How can you say the Old Testament is obsolete? Even as a 12-year-old lad, Yahshua impressed the rabbis in the temple, for everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. 
We read in Luke 2.47, as a boy, he shut the mouths of the PhDs. They were just blown away. He was also a master of the verbal catch-22. I always liked uh, Mark 11, 28. And they came again to Jerusalem as he, is, uh, as he was walking in the temple. There came to him the chief priest and the scribes, uh, the elders, and they said unto him, By what authority do you do these things? And he gave uh, and, and who gave thee this authority to do these things? And Yahshua answered and said, I'll ask you a question. And if you can answer that, I'll answer your question. I love that. I love that. All right? He uses a gotcha question back at them. He says, the baptism of John, was it from heaven or from man? Hmm. Well, they said among themselves, if we say from heaven, he's going to say then, why don't you believe him? Why don't you listen to him? Why don't you go by his teachings? If they say from men, he's going to offend all these other people who believe that John was inspired, that he was a prophet indeed. So what did they say? We can't tell. They dodged. They dodged the whole issue. We can't tell. They avoided the question entirely, as so many do today, when presented with the truth. They don't answer the question or the, the issue. They don't answer the passage maybe you give to them. They throw out another passage that they think proves their point. They, they won't answer that one. Look over here. Look over here. No, come back and answer this. I, I need you to answer my passage and explain it to me if you can. Well, they can't, so they dodge it. That's what these guys did. They couldn't answer him <laughs> without getting themselves into trouble, so they just ignored it. Avoided it. Never let people wiggle out of it when it comes to the truth. Don't let them wiggle out of it. Yasha answered unto them, neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things. Yeah, you want it that way? Then I'm not telling you either. Yasha liked to answer a question with a question of his own. That's an effective debate tactic. And I like the fact that he says, he doesn't just ask a question, he says, You answer my question, and then I'll answer your question. That's a deal. Matthew 12, 1 to 3. At the time, Yahshua went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck ears of corn and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, your disciples do that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath day. Imagine sit around all day long just watching him. What a life, you know, just watching him. How is he going to mess up now? Let's watch him. Keep an eye on him. Report back to me. We'll find out. We're going to catch him on something. We got to. So they thought they got him here. His classic response was to quote scripture, which is the best advice for us as well. Always quote scripture. How can they they deny it? Hold on, fellas. Have you not read what David did when he became hungry? Actually, that word should be famished. I mean... (laughs) They have been marching, who knows, how many thousands of miles, a long ways, and they come in there, they come to the, <coughs> the temple, and they're really just starving to death. And he said he and his men ate of the old showbread, ate of the showbread reserved for the priesthood. You see, what happened is the, the old bread was replaced periodically, I believe it's like every week, and then the priest could eat the old bread, and then they got the new bread sitting out there, 
smelling nice and good and fresh. And I can say that now because we're not in unleavened bread. But anyway, uh, I think some people got a little bit, uh, well, don't make us hungry. For Now, we're trying to avoid the bread. Anyway, it was replaced by the new bread and uh, given to the, the, so he wasn't out there, you know, he wasn't just going up and, and, and grabbing something that had just been, you know, dedicated to Yahweh and say, here, here guys, have a loaf, have a loaf, have a loaf. He just took the old corn, I, I have to believe, passing it. He wouldn't, that's not his character to do something like that, uh, take, take from what <laughs> belongs to Yahweh. So Yahshua says, well, how about that, guys? How about that? David went and ate of the, the bread that was really reserved for the priesthood. David wasn't a priest. What are you going to say about that? He then adds, or how about those priests who work in the temple on Sabbath, sacrificing hundreds of animals, sweaty, back-breaking, hard work, all day long, twice as many on the Sabbath, and they're blameless for breaking the Sabbath. Why? Because it was in service to Yahweh. That was the difference. It was in service to Yahweh. Because Yahweh commanded that there be sacrifices on the Sabbath. Somebody had to do it. So Yahweh obviously would give them a pass. Yep, okay, priests, uh, go ahead. I've commanded that for people to carry that out. You have to, you know, accomplish it. Then he lowers the boom on them with Hosea 6.6. For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of Elohim more than burnt offerings. In doing this, he strikes at the very heart of their ignorance of the law's core teaching of mercy, which is also applied when he healed people on the Sabbath. He did it for mercy. Is it better to, no, the other, I don't remember if I was going to mention this, but uh, when he says, you know, if you have an ox in the ditch, you pull him out, right? It's better to save life than lose it. So that's kind of a guideline. If the Sabbath comes and there's a chance somebody or something could die, he said, you do what you have to do to save life or lose it. What's, what's better? When Yasha was tempted by Satan after his immersion, his response to every one of the devil's provocations is to quote scripture. Man shall not live by bread alone. Don't tempt Yahweh. Worship and serve only Yahweh. In tempting Yahshua, even Satan quoted scripture. Psalm 91, 11 and 12. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. But he left out the part. He left out the part that the angels would keep him in all his ways. After all, Satan didn't want Yahshua to keep in his ways. He wanted him to come his way. He wasn't going to quote that part of it. He was really good at that, you know, twisting things, making it fit his agenda. Yahshua's common reaction to a confrontational challenge was to quote scripture, including tax by Satan, which, or who, who really was successful in no way. He could not rebut Yahshua. Satan just, just took off, couldn't, couldn't beat him. When Yahshua asked the Pharisees if, they, uh, if they've never read a certain scripture and that explains it to them, it's kind of a taunt. Sure, they read it. They just haven't understood it correctly or wanted to do so. It isn't mockery. It's strategy. And Yahshua was very good 
at strategizing. The Pharisees confront Yahshua publicly as a power play intended to show off their dominance to the people. Notice they always did it with a crowd around. Now, they didn't come like Nicodemus and <laughs> come to him and say, hey, how about this? No, 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 get, grab the, the people. and then We're going to nail him now. Watch this, everybody. So, Yahshua gives it back to him. Yahshua assures everyone present that he's not intimidated by their authority. He's not going to allow them to intimidate him. He's also demonstrating Yahweh's disgust with their arrogance and their pride when he argues them under the table, so to speak. Well, we can kind of gain some lessons ourselves by the way Yahshua responded. How to handle criticism. How about seize the opportunity? When verbally attacked, rather than fire back with a volley maybe of your own, which is the natural response of virtually everybody, consider a golden opportunity for a teaching moment. Read uh, 2 Timothy 2.23. But foolish and unlearned questions, of, uh, questions avoid, knowing that what they uh, do engenders strife. And the servant of the master must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those who oppose them. If Elohim peradventure will give them repentance to the knowledge of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. So use the opportunity. Use the opportunity to uh, teach them something. And just swallow your pride if you have to and say, hey, let's, listen, let's, let's, let's reason together here. You know, what you're saying, I don't know if you realize how far uh, a field it might be to the truth. Well, anyway, lots of different ways you can go about it. If you fire back something, all you're going to do is bomb, 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 and get nowhere. You know how it goes. Question their motive. When the Jews picked up stones to stone him again, Yahshua answered, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? I thought that's a fascinating response. Make him stop and think. Wait a minute. Yeah, he's doing good and we want to stone him. You know, let him think about it a minute. Call their bluff. He shows them there's something more going on here. Use the brain and not the brawn. Pull them out of their combative attitude into reality. First, you call them on it. Ask for motive. Why are you doing this or why are you saying this? You strip them of this facade that they're trying to present and force them to explain. And most are going to feel really kind of silly when it's, if you do it right when you sidestep their confrontation breaking the, this adversarial spell that, that has come upon them and approach them directly about their intentions. That kind of takes the wind out of their sails. That Chicago seminar crasher who showed it up early in our ministry should have been really called out. Instead, I, I made the mistake of engaging him in a private debate. It had been more effective if I just disarmed him from the start. Something like, you're coming here, looks like wanting to fight. 
I mean, you didn't come into the seminar. You stood outside, and you just waited for anybody to come out so they could, you could uh, get some jabs in. Why are you doing that? You know, make him stop and think. Take the air right out of his sails. But we all learn, you know. Yahshua had just claimed that he and Yahweh were of one mind and purpose, and, and the smug Jews, you know, who were around him picked up rocks to stone him. It was a tense moment when Yahshua ramps it up with a fairly brassy question. They've been looking for an excuse to rub him out, and Yahshua perceived blasphemy, gave them just the, just the ammo they wanted. He reminds them of the many ways he has already established who he was. If they want to test the veracity of what he's saying, there are numerous witnesses who will corroborate what he says. You've been around, you've heard, they can tell you. So which good work do you plan on killing him for? You know, it's, it's bold sarcasm for someone facing down a mob, but very powerful in showing their motives. Yasha never backed down. That's one thing he never did. He never backed down to these people. You don't protect the sheep by hugging the wolves. Was every Pharisee terrible? No. There were many kind, I'm sure, sincere Pharisees who were trying to do a job that they thought they needed to do, who were nothing like the image we always see of supercilious, mm, I'm a Pharisee, and you'll answer to me. You know, there were decent men too, I'm sure. Did that stop Yasha from excoriating the, the whole collection? No. Not at all. He was an equal opportunity educator. Day after day, they proved over and over and over they weren't his friends. They were his opponents. Well, there are different ways that they tried to stop Yahshua, try to trap him. They came up to Yahshua testing him all day long. Luke eleven thirty seven. This is a frontal assault, I call it. And he, as he spake, a certain Pharisee besought him to dine with him. And he went in and sat down to meet. And when the Pharisees saw it, he marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. And the master said unto him, Now, do you, Pharisees, make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but your inward part is full of ravening and wickedness? You fools! Did not he that made that which is without make that which is within also? See, this, this struck to the very point. They were all show. Oh, the outside. Oh, they were great, great people. Inside, just very dirty, very dirty, full of wickedness. You fools, but rather give alms to, of such things as you have, and behold, all things are clean unto you. But woe unto you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and anise and rue and all manner of herbs and pass over judgment and the love of Elohim. These are you to have done and not to leave the other undone. They were good at leaving the other undone. <laughs> they were good at passing over the whole point and just focusing on what they felt was an advantage to them. Woe unto you! You love the uppermost seats of the synagogues and greetings in the markets. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are as graves which appear not, and the men that walk over them are not aware of them. See, in the final analysis, all their bluster was for nothing. 
They're going to be forgotten. And where did it get them? Certainly didn't get them the kingdom. What was it for? Then answered one of the lawyers and said unto him, Master, thus saying, thou reproachest us also. And he said, Woe unto you also, you lawyers. He didn't leave them alone either. For you laid men with heavy burdens, grievous to be borne, and you yourselves touched not the burdens with one of your fingers. So he didn't leave them out either. He didn't leave out any hypocrite. John 9, 13. Stumbling over themselves, they brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. And it was the Sabbath day when Yahshua made the clay and opened his eyes. Then again, the Pharisees also asked him, how he had received his sight, he said unto them, he put clay upon my eyes, and I washed, and now I see. Therefore, said some of the Pharisees, this man is not of Elohim, because he keeps not the Sabbath day. <coughs> wait a minute. Others said, wait a minute. How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles, obviously, from Yahweh? How, do, how does that work? How does that happen? Why was he able to do that if he's sinning? And there was division among them. After basically frustrating these Pharisees and Sadducees by answering some really tricky questions, Yahshua finally turns the tables on them. He wasn't against a good debate. He wasn't against showing truth where they lacked it. While the Pharisees were gathered, Yahshua in Matthew twenty-two forty-two asked them, What think ye of Messiah? Whose son is he? They say unto him, The son of David. Oh, he said unto them, how then does David in spirit call him master, saying, Yahweh said unto my master, sit thou on my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. If David then called him master, how is it that he's his son? And no man was able to answer him a word. Neither did any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. They almost tipped their hand almost because if they recognized that Yahshua was the Messiah it blew everything off everything they did was gone they couldn't do that they couldn't go that far so they stopped wait a minute he's got a point there and we can't go any further they didn't go any further they stopped in one brilliant stroke of genius Yahshua nails these men who would not admit that Yahshua was the Messiah they had to have known his genetic lineage from David because they were big into that. You know, we talked about you were the sons of Abraham and all. They were all into that. They had to have known that he was of David. So they would not pursue this line any further, lest he prove in no uncertain terms that he was the Messiah that was foretold in prophecy. He stopped them dead in his tracks. You know, one day the Jews are going to be forced to face the music and own up to their past denials. And the prophecy is in Zechariah 12.10. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourns for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Ultimately, it will all come out in the wash. But what we got to remember is, what are we doing according to Yahweh's word. What are we doing in this life to promote the worship, the honor, the truth of Yahweh? That becomes the biggest issue. And this is the issue that the Pharisees wouldn't even get close to. 
because they were all about what am I doing for me, not what am I doing for Yahweh. I think that's one of the reasons that uh, the feast becomes so essential and so important because it's not about us. It's all about Yahweh. It's all about him. And when we understand that and keep the feast because of him and not for ourselves, we leave this world, so to speak, and focus on him. So let's not be a, a snail and think that the world revolves around us. Let's work to show Yahweh our truth, his truth in our lives that we can one day then teach others the same thing. May Yahweh bless you.